Are we live? We're live. Back on. Welcome back. Hey, happy uh, happy after Thanksgiving. It is after Thanksgiving. <laughs> I haven't even thought about that. Yeah. We had such a good Thanksgiving being just a family together. It was great. You did? Yeah. I mean, I miss my extended family, but I don't get enough time with my parents, yeah. and my brother and his family, my older brother. My younger brother couldn't make it, but... Is uh, it is interesting knowing that like seeing you on a day to day basis, and that yeah, you definitely actually have another family, right? <laughs> like it's pretty cool. How was your Thanksgiving? Uh, it was good. I felt like it went way too quick. It was relaxing, but also just wasn't ready for it. It was kind of nice having those like five days to just relax. Uh, ate way too much, which was cool. Spent it with uh, Steph and her family. Got to see my dad. And uh, yeah, it was. it's good to be back though. It is good to be back. We're back in Advent. That's right. Start of a new liturgical year for all you liturgical nerds out there. Very exciting. I feel like that needs to be another podcast. Maybe sometime we could talk about that because I'm still getting used to all the colors and the seasons. And I showed up to mass on Sunday and you were wearing a whole new outfit. Right. Purple you know, looks when good people, on you. Purple looks good on me. It's, it's one of my colors. That's right. When Pete, Mary Rogers, I think you've heard this. She has the best response about why women can't be priests. I don't know you if remember I know that this? One. No. Yeah. She says, she says the, the real reason women can't be priests, she says, is because four colors are not enough. <laughs> and she's like, if women became priests, where the, where a priest gets ready for mass is called the sacristy. And she says, you know, the sacristy would have to be about three times the size and we need like eight more colors way more mirrors and we get lipstick all over the altar is what she always says <laughs> i'm like right mary that's that's the church's teaching it's right a pretty there. valid point though it's hard to argue i do want to before we jump into uh what we're going to talk about today for all you out there we've talked a little bit about you know the that really dense topic of transgenderism and what that's all about and the catholic response i want to point you to a resource a couple of them actually so there's a one of my professors, Susan Selner, right? Her and her husband Terry, both professors of mine, amazing people. You have you met them? I have. So Susan is amazing. She's brilliant, and I basically consider her kind of a another mother in some ways. Mom, don't be offended by that. <laughs> but Susan's amazing, and she's a brilliant scholar, and just a one of those people you look at and you think, why don't we have more people like you in the world? Uh, I just don't have a enough words to praise her. She's awesome. But anyway, she started a website called person and identity.com. Is that what it says? Yep. Com? Yep. Person and identity.com. If you're a Catholic out there and you're like, how do I understand this? You're, maybe you're a parent. Maybe you're uh, a teacher in a Catholic school. Maybe you're someone in the culture. You just don't know what to think about this. They've got videos. They've got articles by really compassionate, intelligent people who know how to think about this much more deeply than just the average, you know, thing you're going to see on NBC or whatever. Is that where you were on NBC? They let, <laughs> they let anybody on there. Basically, I was actually on ABC. Oh, ABC. That's right. But yeah, the, it's just a great resource. And then one one book I would recommend. There's there's a number of them out there right now. One that's a little dated is, but it's very good. It's only a couple years old, but it's uh, it's called When Harry Became Sally, and which I think is a funny title it's we're, we're in a very sensitive, pretty clever 
we're very sensitive in our culture right now and we need to be compassionate and all the right caveats, but great book, Ryan Anderson. He did a great job on that one. Uh, there's one that I've been reading called the end of gender, which is not from a Christian author, uh, Dr. Deborah. So, and she's been very, very intelligent though. And she's an expert in this kind of stuff. And she kind of says that the gender ideology really has no basis in science. And she's, she's a self-described left-leaning politically kind of person, but someone who's, she's like, I am a neuroscientist and she deals with areas of sexuality and gender. And she says, there's just a lot of people who are not listening at all to what science is saying. They're just imposing. We need people to be able to be whatever gender they want. And that's not what the science says. Are both of these user-friendly? A lot of times you pick books that are uh, a little intense. More than the normal stuff I would recommend. Okay. I would say the first one is is a little easier. The Dr. Deborah So book, The End of Gender, that's a little more. She's she's a scientist. She's a good writer. Uh, but Ryan Anderson, I think, is a better writer, honestly. But those are good. And honestly, if you're looking into this, go to that website. Go to personandidentity.com. You're going to find just a ton of stuff there. So that's what I would recommend. I also want to thank we've re, we've actually received a lot of phenomenal feedback and and suggestions and just all sorts of amazing advice and want to thank anyone who has written in and, and we've actually received a lot of people listening to the podcast so I just want to thank you guys um, hopefully share with your friends and whatnot but please keep the uh, feedback coming you can email us um, and just let us know your thoughts, questions, any of that kind of stuff, because it's been kind of surprising some of the emails we've actually received. Yeah. I apologize for my lip smacking. <laughs> I listened to an episode and I was horrified and I smack my lips. I'm going to be working on that to try to not do that. I think it is, it's good for us to, to notice that because we're only, I mean, we're five episodes in. And neither of us are podcast professionals. So it's the little things that will iron out in time, it's sound quality, things. all the above that we're working on. This little things. Yep. So what are we going to talk about today? So big dog. Yeah. So the one thing I did notice with the feedback and that I think, uh, kind of started to make me realize we have a lot of parishioners and people in our community that are listening. And I know we, we out the gates kind of talked about the goal, ultimately trying to be evangelization and how do we attract some of the people that live in my apartment downtown and all that. But I, I would, I, I'd love to kind of dive into COVID and how all of this has affected active Catholics, um, parishioners, whether they're here, you're listening somewhere else. Um, I feel like obviously church life has been affected for everyone and, um, also how it's kind of affected you. And, and our response as, as lords in particular, but priests have had to react in weird ways that no one saw this coming and trying to listen to the government, the archbishop, the pope, all the, all the above that we now have, what, eight months, nine months under our belt of COVID and it's a consistent tug of war. Why we've reacted to certain ways we have and yep. that tug of war that you've been dealt with <laughs> since, since what, March 16th? I'm so bad with dates. Pretty sure it was. Okay. I moved would, in. I'm, that apartment know. I talk about that we lived in, Steph, I moved in March 9th, and then the world shut down like four days later. So I think it was March 14th or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's wild. I, 
it's funny you say like you have to listen to Pope Francis and Archbishop Aquila and all the different leaders in the church. I know a lot of parishioners out there, they, they wish our Pope Francis has some article. I remember it's probably like a year ago where he said, priests, please, please keep your homily to 10 minutes. <laughs> right? And I bet a lot of you out there are like, ah, oh, FB, listen to the Holy Father. Fortunately for us, and if you aren't an active parishioner and uh, don't watch the 10 a.m. mass live stream, FB is classic for he's it's a serious probably about 25 minutes 20 minutes no, 20 20 I, I was I mean I, I go over watch. 20 sometimes but yeah. I think it can go a little over the good part for us is at least it's entertaining you always preface it there's normally one two maybe three things that you're going to get through but time does fly I'll give you that because normally if, if you would have told me out the gates you're going to go to mass and it's a 25 and then well, weren't you 40. used to longer going to flat irons or red rocks i mean didn't you have like hour-long sermons yeah but i didn't have to memorize prayers and they had fog machines oh good point we're working on that <laughs> that's right we're working on that when, we're the altar, get fog when the altar has the fog machines and the strobe lights and all that kind of stuff it's pretty entertaining that yeah instead now it's a 25 minute homily which you're right is much shorter but then there's all sorts of prayers i need to memorize yeah and when Steph misses up on one of them, oh, I love it. it makes yeah. me so happy. Um, so yeah, I think talking about COVID, our response, because uh, I, I feel like we were both kind of hand in hand in that journey. Yeah, we were. Uh, all of a sudden we wake up and the world has shut down. And I think it's just been interesting. I think as crazy as the world has been, people have been eager for the one rock that exists. Yeah. You know, pun intended but um and that's church when all hell literally hell feels like it's breaking loose mm -hmm. and you have nowhere else to turn the one thing you really do want is mass and and that's fair i 100 percent get that and agree it's been a tough time to try to navigate that though it has and i've you know just like everybody listening you've probably heard every possible opinion on the spectrum of opinions i know you and i have and you know, and there's people I really respect on all different kind of spaces on that spectrum. Some who have said, you know, this is the, the we're moving towards communism. The church needs to stand up to this and we need to be bold right now. And I've met people who are like, who've been in my office, who are medical professionals and are like, why are not more people serious about this? And FB, why aren't you? in a stronger way, kind of really telling people they need to take this more seriously. And so it's, it's a little tough. It's one of those moments where when there's a broad spectrum of not just kind of anybody, but you know, people who I think are really good Catholics and who are intelligent in their own way when they really disagree with each other and there's room for disagreement about what the best path forward is. And also, and one more thing I'd just say to start off with is none of us have been through this before. Right. You know, and we've got, you know, Dr. Fauci changed his mind a couple of times or the CDC did about masks and, you know, there's, there's some inconsistencies. And, and one of the things I felt, uh, is we, none of us have done this and we need to be charitable with each other of like, we're just, everybody's just trying the best they can and we can disagree and it's good to have a vigorous disagreement. But at the end of the day, like, I think we need to turn the temperature down a couple of degrees and say, we're all stressed out. 
we're all nervous about the economy. We're nervous about people we love getting sick and dying. But we got to turn the temperature down just a little bit. Yeah. And especially as the science, as we started to become more aware around the science behind it, I mean, out the gates, it was like, if you touch a surface, you're going to get it. Then all of a sudden that change, you're going to get COVID. Then all of a sudden that changes to where, well, it may not really be surfaces, all that kind of stuff. But a lot of that played into a lot of the things, the, the way we reacted as a church yep. and, you know, we couldn't even go to, I needed a note to get to church. If I got pulled over, you had to be an essential worker and this and that. And then all of a sudden yep. you're in, um, can't even go in the grocery store without a mask and all these kind of norms that we were starting to get used to. But there is a, a tug of war that I especially see play out for you where there is a big push to just open up masks, let it be, you know, let the government come after us and or don't and mass should be totally shut down. And yeah. I think it's in order to do it justice, at least as an advocate for you <laughs> primarily is a lot of it is, you know, we were kind of in a weird position and a lot of churches were, were, based on what city and county we're in right. dictated what the government was saying. And then yet we're listening to archbishop who's overseeing churches in all these different counties. So when they, when the archbishop would put out something, it was relatively vague from the standpoint of like, okay, it's up to your priest, but you need to listen to your city and state. And then we're in an mm -hmm. awkward position because we're right on the border of Denver County right. and Denver County was so much more strict. And, um, and then I think most importantly, what I think was our, our biggest limiting factor that a lot of churches reacted by saying, okay, we'll, we'll listen to your capacity requirements, but we'll open up more masses. We only have one of you here at our lady of Lords, right? So a lot of these other churches we'd go to or look at and try to figure out what they're doing. They have four priests five yep. priests or, you know, deacons and all this kind of stuff just on deck to allow for more masses, more people can get in. And we had one of you, sure. very few people understood that you can only do per canon law, three masses a day for a Sunday, um. for a Sunday. So we had to choose between which three and then, um, trying to not get you burnt out in addition to that. But, um, most of the priest help that we would normally receive around here was a, an older demographic. So a lot of the priests weren't, you know, they're over the age of 65, which then they're at high risk and they're kind of less inclined to fill mass times. And so it was, it was a very interesting thing to try to navigate. It was solving global warming, maybe easier. Uh, but there was a lot of complexity to that. There was, and I, I want to acknowledge, you know, <clears throat> I love part of the, the reason that we got some heat on this is because our people love God. Right. And that's There's so cool. No and like, yeah. and I want to just acknowledge like how strong our community is and how many of you out there, just your faith. That's so incredible. And I think, I think there's tensions on this, you know, on one sense, I think a lot of people are nervous that how can we say all these things are essential, but we don't, but somehow God is not essential and they're right. You know, God, there is nothing more essential than God. The, the, the universe cannot exist for a single second without God and he holds it in existence. We are utterly dependent on God and he holds us all in existence at every moment. And that's a deeper philosophical thing that we're not going to get to. And so the, I think a lot of people said, come on, this is the moment we need to be turning to God more than ever. And they're right about that. I think the the flip side, and there's different ways to say this, um, 
but one of the great things about the Catholic faith is that our the way St. Thomas Aquinas, there's an axiom in theology that says grace builds on nature, or you could say that grace presupposes nature. And so what the church is saying is that the when God, when his grace breaks into our life, it doesn't make you an angel. What it does is it says you're a human being and God's grace builds upon the way he made us and it cooperates and builds on top of that. And so part of one of the great things about being a Catholic is we recognize the validity and the importance of the natural world and that our sacramental life and our spiritual life is greater than that, but it doesn't negate or uh, cancel out what is natural. And so somehow we got to hold these things together. We've got to say, you know, that health is real. It's a real concern. And, you know, different people have different opinions. I do think we've overreacted to COVID. That's my personal opinion. And I'm, I'm not God. I could be wrong about that, but I do. I think we've overreacted. Um, but we, we as in you and me, especially, in, especially you. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Especially, I wish you would just get out of that full body suit. Right yeah, I'm bubble boy over here. What do they call it? Personal protective PPE, personal protective equipment. I'm, uh, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's it. But anyway, Whatever yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I mean the culture though. I yeah, think, totally. I think, and I'm again, I'm not the expert, but my understanding is that we have a 99.8 percent survival rate, uh, and. That doesn't mean, you know, I've heard from, there's been some wonderful people out of state who have written me who are in the medical field, who are there, they're like, you know, people don't understand we've worked in these conditions and this is very serious. And I want to acknowledge that. And also, uh, I think we need to be very careful about how do we take care of people who are vulnerable. But anyway, I don't even want to get too much down this road. I don't know if you want to, do you think that's right though? Do you, I, I, I kind of feel like, it's serious. We need to be very smart about how we do things, but maybe like the lockdowns and stuff were too much. I definitely agree with that, but I, I think it's it's easy to look back and say that the church or the archbishop or Father Brian or someone has let us down in that when it's in reality, we were all reacting yeah. and no one is getting clear direction on what to do. We, you know, there was a lot that we tried to do carline communion and a lot of these like creative things of like, right. how can we be practical? Cause on the flip side, like whether or not you really agree with it or not, it was a risk reward scenario where dude, if we lost you for COVID for two weeks, like we, we're done. Like we're the whole parish shut down. Like that, that's, that's all I wanted to hear. That's well, <laughs> yeah. Well, as, as I'm trying to advocate on something, it's like, that is okay. Like we have to be smart. We can't just all of a sudden just flood the gates and, and, go with it um, because that is a reality. I mean, you've had companions, you've had, we've had people in this guys in the seminary and all this stuff that have actually got COVID and then they're down for the count for two weeks and whether or not they actually were sick or not. If you were exposed, you were supposed to quarantine for two weeks and therefore Lord's is shut down. Yeah. And, and, and I do want to say, I mean, at our church and maybe you're not someone who goes to Lord's, but I, I just want to say this for our parishioners. I don't think that I handled that perfectly. Um, I know I didn't. We tried our best. And yeah. so I, I, I do want to say, you know, I'm sorry for anybody out there that felt, you know, where where is Father Brian's heroism? Where Where is his kind of leadership in this? And we probably didn't handle it perfectly. Um, but a beautiful thing I think about the faith is it's not that priests know everything or are perfect. 
is that we together, we love each other, we love God, and we do our best to surrender our lives to him. And we're all going to screw up and we move together through those things. So, uh, so I certainly wasn't perfect in it. Uh, tried my best. We thought we made the best decisions we could trying to be wise about the scenario. Yeah. I, I mean, it's hard for me not to want to get defensive when I hear you say that because I know how much of a struggle that was going through that. And I've heard, you know, I mean, we hear it. And whether, again, yeah, if you're a parishioner or not, I think every parish is experiencing the same dynamic on both sides of do we not, do we open, do we not, what do we do, how many people, do we just let the governors come after us, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but there is a, a tension of it's easy for people to say, well, you guys should be doing this. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I need to be smart too. I have my dad at home that is very high risk. Right. And by saying you guys need to have eight masses and wipe down the pews and all this stuff, like I don't want to step into the fire den. So it's easy to, <laughs> it's easy to all of a sudden go not, it's hard to not get defensive when you hear it, but it, it totally was just a, it was a lot to digest and especially you of all people heard the most and wide range of opinions and, and, trying to navigate that. And I appreciate having you in my corner. I think I also love, I know that our parishioners like they can reach out and talk to me and I always want that. Yeah. I never want to be the kind of priest and I don't think priests in general should ever be the kind of people who can't receive correction. Priests are Christians and that's, that's important, but, but I do think it leads to a deeper topic. Right. And one of the things uh, that I think is so important about this is the liturgy is the heart beating heart of our world and of our lives, whether people know it or not. The the crucifix, there's a great, I forget which religious order it is. There's a religious order out there that has a motto and it says, the cross stands while the world turns. And so every, so basically what they're saying is that the that. world, isn't that great? Yeah, the the awesome. cross stands while the world turns. And and the world's always spinning and craziness is always going to happen. But the cross, it remains. And the cross is the center of our lives. And that's what the mass is all about, is about the cross. So I love that. I do want to talk about Daniel chapter 9. And even back in, what did you say it was March when everything hit? Yeah. Yeah. Beginning of March. That was, it's funny, but that's kind of the first place my mind went was Daniel chapter nine. Probably you, you who are at home, you're like, ah, oh, this is Daniel nine. <laughs> I was like, wait, we have nine Daniels in our pair. Who, who are we talking about yeah, right yeah, now? Dan Daniel number three, <laughs> come <right>. forward. <laughs> Tell him what he's won, Patrick. The ninth Daniel to complain. <laughs> right. No, but Daniel chapter nine is a really powerful chapter. And uh, if you don't know your, your salvation history very well, which most of us, you know, we could grow a little bit in that area. Uh, Daniel 9, what's happened is that, uh, so the Jews in the year 587 and 586 BC, the Babylonians come and they destroy Jerusalem and they take Israel, most of Israel, captive into Babylon. And so they become exiles and they're taken back to Babylon and read the book of Daniel. It's wonderful. But in Daniel chapter 9, what happens is, is Daniel knows, and, and there's so much to this, but Daniel's a prophet. He's a very holy man. And Daniel's pretty innocent, but there's so many cool things here. 
Daniel knows that he that Israel though has sinned. And he knows they're in exile because they've sinned. And we have to be careful. I, I think you'd be very careful of saying the pandemic is a result of human sin. N.T. Wright has some stuff out there about that. Um, but the point I want to make is that even though Daniel himself is innocent, what he does in Daniel chapter 9 is he confesses Israel's sins to God. Um, and that goes all the way back to Deuteronomy 30. But uh, it's so cool because the, the point I want to drive at here is that Daniel knows that even though they can't, if, you, if you're guilty before God, what you do is you go to the temple. You offer a sacrifice. And in our lives, even though you might not have been in the pandemic saying we're really guilty and we deserve this, you want to go to mass. And the normal way you're in contact with God is you go to church, you offer uh, the mass along with Jesus and with the priest. And that's what you do. And Daniel, though, doesn't have that. That that avenue is cut off from him. And so what he does in Daniel 9 is he confesses the sins of Israel. And he knows in exile that, he, that God is still going to be faithful. And that's when in Daniel 9, the angel Gabriel gets sent to him and he's told about when the exile will end. And so I, I'll stop talking, but, but the, I guess the point I want to make to all of this is that we have these ideas about God, like this is the ideal and it has to be like the ideal. And my, my thought in the pandemic was there are some things that are bigger than us, but God is still faithful. And so God, like we are bound to the sacraments. Like we don't have the option to say, well, God's bigger than this. And so I don't need to go to mass on Sunday. You can't do that. But in a situation like this, I thought we're bound to the sacraments, but God's not. He's, he is actually bigger than the sacraments and the catechism teaches this. And if we find ourselves in a really, really difficult situation, our call, I think, is to suffer well is to suffer as best we can. We say, Lord, I can't be at mass right now like I want to be. But just like Daniel in exile in Babylon, he turns towards Jerusalem and he prays and pours out his soul to God. And I think that's a model for what the church should be during the pandemic. I also feel like there's been a lot of blessings in disguise during this pandemic too. Like that is that has pushed the church and the Catholic Church to get creative and do a lot of things that we always talk about. You know, the Protestant world does very well, but like we've seen a huge increase of interest and followers that tune into Mass that live in around around the U.S. Right, and and more importantly, what we've seen just firsthand. I know <clears throat> Steph, my wife, she she has a lot of friends that are tuning in that have left the church because all of a sudden they've just been you know Steph will repost it or say she's watching on Facebook and then all of a sudden random people and her grandmother's one of them grandma Paula shout out uh you know she's been asking how can I tune into mass like she's older she doesn't want to leave the house but she now has the ability to tune in and can follow along again and there has been a lot of blessings during this time of just things that wouldn't normally happen when we are in our in our norm pre-covid yeah. And I think there's there's a purification God can do. And I, we have to be always be careful that the sacraments are absolutely necessary. Right. They're absolutely necessary. They're and the Eucharist, nothing more than the Eucharist. The Eucharist is the center. 
And it's just important to really get that out there. That's the Eucharist is everything. But all I'm saying, so there's a great, there's a term Pope Benedict uses. And I don't think anybody was doing this during our, especially at our parish. I'm such, I'm like a proud dad. I'm like, not at my church. <laughs> totally. like, you know, other people's kids, they're bad. Not my church. <laughs> but it's kind of true. But the, the Pope Benedict has this awesome, and if you go to Lourdes, you know, Pope Benedict Sixteenth is one of my great heroes. But he, he has a great term he uses in one of his books where he talks about mechanistic sacramentality. That could be a band name. There it is. Mechanistic sacramentality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a great band name, mechanistic sacramentality. But he's actually negative on that. And what he means by that is whenever we go to the sacraments, there's the objective and there's the subjective element. And the objective element is, so if you go to mass, like if someone comes to church, they don't believe that it's really the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus. And they're bored out of their mind. The preaching's terrible. The music's terrible, which has never happened in a Catholic church ever, ever, ever. But if that happens, the, the, what the church, what the church says to us is that objectively though, Jesus Christ, you are mystically present at his crucifixion during the mass objectively whether the person feels like it or not there's an objective thing happening there and that's probably the most important thing um and there's technical latin terminology for this so it's ex opere operato but we don't need to get into that but but it's there's an objective thing it's it's actually happening whether you like it or not and or whether you're present to it or not but the other piece and this is what benedict's getting at is that the subjective really matters. And so what he said, when he says uh, mechanistic sacramentality, he wants Catholics to get away from this idea that, you know, as a Catholic, I push the button, I get the grace. And it's like a vending machine. I go to mass, I just push the button and it doesn't require you to change your heart and your life and to turn your life towards him. And, and I think in the pandemic, sometimes in an in objective state that we would never, we don't want things to look like this. God can change my subjectivity and say, um, wow, like I hunger for the mass in a way I never did before. Totally. And that's, that's really important. The objective matters, but God can do amazing things for us in the midst of suffering. And I think, I hope and I pray and I know God is so good. I'm sure he's been doing that for a lot of people. One, one last line I have on that is that Warren Carroll was the founder of Christendom College. And some people critique his scholarship a little bit, but he's a great writer. I read all of his history books when I was um, in my free time in seminary. So what a nerd I am. But he was super fun to read. He was a page turner and there's big, thick history books. But anyway, he has a great line where he says, he says, nowhere on earth have Catholics ever loved the mass so much as in, I think it's 19th century Ireland when it was a capital offense to say the mass. So it was a crime punishable Whoa. by death to say mass. And he said, people have never loved the mass more than at that time in Ireland. And uh, I'm Irish, so love my people. More importantly, I didn't know an actual history book could be a page turner, but that's... <laughs> that one really is. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I need to preface all your book recommendations on who, at what level does somebody need to be before they can get into that? That is fascinating. You know, I, I do think 
man, and we talk about that now as we start to look and plan for Lords in and of itself, but I'm sure most churches right now is as soon as there's the vaccines and whatever, and COVID's not a reality, we may look back in 20 years, back, man, that year and a half or two years or one year was, that was miserable, but who remembers the actual details of it? Um, and we're starting to look forward to what are we doing next summer? How do we bring the community back together and, and really start to have some of these events? Like we haven't had events and, yeah. and, and it's not, again, it, it's so interesting cause it's, it's us, it's everywhere. Like people want church cause that's normally their, like that is their go-to and all when everything else is uncertain and then go to mass and they can be with Jesus and that, and that is so critical. Um, but every aspect, I mean, we can, I was frowned upon to go to Thanksgiving with more than two relatives and these like goofy things that are out there. Um, but we do know that as soon as we can start to have those big events and, and gatherings, um, I'm, I'm super excited to see what that brings. Cause it is kind of creating this space of people are just gonna be so eager for it. And, and it's an opportunity to really come back stronger than ever. Yeah. People are hungry for that. <clears throat> I think, you know, another really interesting, I want to shift gears. I just thought of something really cool. Love that. Love it. The, um, one of the things I thought a lot about, and I have thought a lot of during the pandemic, there's a, an article I've told you about before. I know I've told a lot of people about it, but one, I think one of the problems in our culture right now is because we're not Christians anymore. We don't, people don't really believe in God. They, they're nominal Christians. There's, there is still a strong Christian contingent. If you talk to Europeans, they're like, wow, you guys are so religious, but we're going in the wrong direction on that. And, and, and very rapidly. But anyway, there's a, there's a great article and there's a, there's a book out there that says something similar that I like. But the idea is that we Christians in the medieval and, and more Christian ages, they didn't they feared God, but we feared death. And there's this great humor me for one second. There's Stanley Hauerwas. This was a commencement address he gave. Did I already say this on the podcast? I don't, uh, I don't think so. I can I talk everywhere I go. I talk wherever I go. I'm like, oh, I'm <laughs> preaching today. I'm teaching there. I'm gonna talk here. I'm just. It's, I don't know why anybody listens to this, but Stanley Howard Wass gave a commencement address for a bunch of medical students who are graduating. And he says, you know, today, if any, if you're going to die and he cites some survey, the way that people want to die is what you'd expect. You want to die without any pain in your sleep. You don't want to know about it. That kind of thing. It's kind of what all of us would say. But then he says, everything we know about more Christian times is that they actually wanted the opposite of that. They wanted to have a long drawn out death. Sounds awesome, right? Oh, what? <laughs> I'll explain. They wanted that. They wanted, uh, they wanted it actually to be painful and they wanted, um, they didn't want to go suddenly and unexpectedly. And what he says, the reason for the difference is because we fear death, but they feared God. And so what he's getting at is that you wanted to have a long drawn out illness before you died because you wanted to suffer a little bit for your sins, to be purified, to be prepared to meet God. Cause you're, you're like, I'm going to go before God and meet the judgment. Um, I want to have it more drawn out because all of the people that I've hurt in my life, I want to fix and I want to make it right before I die. And especially I want to have a priest come hear my confession and give me last rites 
before I pass. And I think about this a lot in the pandemic and in the pandemic, you know, all we have left and there's a great book on this called being mortal. It's not by a Christian, but it's by a leading uh, doctor. I forget his name. And two of my, my doctor friends told me I had to read this book. It's a great book. Being mortal. But, um, I just smacked my lips again. <laughs> I gotta stop that. So the, this book though, and what they're all saying is that we're so scared of death. So we put most of our medical costs in our country, they're all end of life things. And we pour millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars into these end of life things that extend people's lives by a day, a week, a month, maybe a year. And it's because we, we're, we don't believe in God anymore. Isn't that interesting? Oh, so much to go with that. That's, I don't know. I always say that like with my mom, when she passed, I was so grateful that she passed in her sleep. And I, maybe that's just for me. I, I do every day. I think about like, I wish her and I could have had conversations that we clearly didn't to your point And to that point of like, man, so many relationships you want to mend before you're going to pass like that. I don't know if I love the suffering part, but I get it. Right. I, I guess I have to ask and not to prolong this episode, but when you hear that though, when I hear that, and if that's truly where you're at, then wouldn't it also be more inclined to say, okay, then we should have masses that are like, if we get COVID, we get COVID. Yeah. I think there's a tension, right? Cause well, cause when, when I hear that, it's like, okay, well, if that's the case and I'm, and I'm more fearful of God than I am about dying, then it's like, well, if I'm going to show up and if I get it, I get it. Yeah. I mean, it's an, I think, I think it's an interesting tension because the, the other extreme would be to be reckless. Right. And being reckless with people's health and their lives and your own life. That's not of God. Like one of the radical Christian ideas. And I, I teach on this all the time is that Christians tend to associate our faith with just the soul and just immaterial things. And we do believe our soul is higher than our body, but Christianity, the, our, our belief in the resurrection is all about the fact that we believe the world is good. God created the world good. If N.T. Wright is my great guide on this. He, he really changed my thinking on this. So, but, there, but I won't go into that. There's a tension though, where we do need to fear God more than we fear death, but the body and bodily health and bodily life is a good thing. There are the, people in the ancient world, like Plato, for instance, believed that your body was kind of a prison for your soul. And Christians don't believe that. So, th so there is a tension. So there's something of like, yeah, maybe we, maybe that's the right answer. There's, I don't know where the line exactly is. Right. I tend to think, you know, if when I make king of the world, you know, praise that's God, right. that'll never happen. But <laughs> if I was in charge, I kind of like that idea of like, you know what? We need to open masses. We need to be really charitable and careful with people who have underlying conditions and the elderly. And we need to not be reckless about that. But I do, I do think we need to, I think the deeper issue is we don't live in a Christian time. That's the deeper issue. I also, the last part I would say about I mean, something you touched on earlier though, is, is the ability and, and whether you're here at Lords or not, um, being able to go, if you are, I just want to reemphasize what you said. If you're not, you don't understand or you don't agree with something that your pastor or priest is saying, and I, and I specifically mean this for you, I know how open you are to have those conversations and to not, yeah. 
I think it's more hurtful when it's like you hear from someone else about somebody else is mad and they're going somewhere else now or whatever it is. It's like just I have seen so many people come in and just pick your brain about what are you up to? What are you doing this and that? And you have been so open about it. So I, I would like to applaud you for that and encourage anybody to, to not just assume the priest is busy or doesn't want to hear it or yeah. any of that kind of stuff. Cause it is, you want to hear those tensions and, and truly understand that not just encompass yourself with one point of view. Cause then that's all you'll see. And, and yeah. I feel like that's where you've been torn so much just in, in sitting down with so many different people and hearing those, opinions it is a it is a wide a wide range yeah i mean we're we're called to <clears throat> we're all called to obedience and and i love telling it our, our very faithful catholics in this community that you know and this gets into other topics so i don't want to open a can of worms but obedience read romans chapter five obedience is what saved the world in romans five saint paul contrasts jesus with adam and he talks about how original sin, and then by the way, Romans 5 is the clearest place in the Bible that just talks about original sin. It's shown in Genesis. Genesis shows it to us, and so does Exodus. That's another story. But what St. Paul does in Romans 5 is he says, what, what caused the world to fall into sin and death was an act of disobedience. And what saved the world was an act of obedience. And so we, we need to be obedient. Obedience saved the world. And a good friend of mine, I love the way he says this. He says, it's never obedience until you disagree. Mm. It's never obedience until you disagree. And I just, and not to be critical because I'm guilty of this, I'm sure as much as anybody, but I do feel like in the pandemic, I've met people who are good Catholics. They're very faithful, but they're, 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 they really want to be disobedient and they're and at the same time hold themselves out as good Catholics. Right. And I just want to say to them, and we all have our blind spots. None of us is perfect. And that's why we need each other. But like obedience matters. Um, and last thing I'll say on that is just because you were talking about priests. And I think <clears throat> priests have a certain authority. Um, and another episode we need to do some point, we can talk about though, how priests are not the church. The church is all of us. Priests have a, a unique role, and there there's a legitimate, unique role that priests have, and a legitimate, unique authority they have. But priests are not God, and when priests pretend they're God, and I and I'm very attuned to this, and good priests who I know, but I think sometimes pretend like they're not humans. It's not good for priests. It's not good for the church, and it's not good for priests because Christians stop thinking that they have to be mature and responsible, and then priests become isolated. Right. And they get really fearful, by the way. This is crazy. I should not bring this up at an end of a podcast. <laughs> so we'll do this in another another one, one of these days. But one of the things that happens is that when priests start acting like they're not human, they get fearful and they become isolated and weird because they get scared. They get scared that they can never admit that they're not perfect mm -hmm. because they have to be perfect because they have to be the priest. That's right. And then what happens is if they have sin in their life, which all of us do, they they get so scared that they can't show that. Um, okay. I, uh, yeah, I I think it's just so interesting as we've sat back and watched, just call it the Dever community uh, as a whole, like a Catholic community, and just kind of seeing this dynamic of 
obedience to, again, we went back to it, but the Pope, the Archbishop, the government, the this, the that, and there's all this sort of tug of war. And people have wanted to canonize some of the priests that have been disobedient yeah, that's and they one. applaud that. And that's another, maybe that's another topic as well. But like all of a sudden it puts you in a bind. And I just, I'm the guy on the sidelines, close sideline, watching this all unfold and putting you in a weird position of like, again, whether it's a literal boundary of a different county and or they're breaking rules and this and that, and it becomes a comparison game that, that yeah, all of a sudden it, it does get isolating real yeah. quick. Yeah, and it, I mean, it, it ties also to the idea, Christians very easily get tied up, and you would understand this as an athlete, and again, this is we're gonna have a ton of new material because I keep bringing up topics that are bigger than we have time for. But sometimes Catholics are tempted to think, and Christians in general, that something's better because it's more hardcore or it's mm-hmm. more difficult. Yep, that is not true. Aquinas specifically talks about how virtue, a virtue is not a virtue because it's difficult. Something is virtuous not because of its difficulty, but because it's good. Now, sometimes the good is difficult, it's arduous, and that's oftentimes the case. But that, but because something's hard does not make it good. And I see this in priests sometimes, is they act like just, just being hardcore is a virtue. And that, I don't agree with that line of thinking. I think I said, well, and then we'll end it here, but I think, <laughs> I think I see it. Longest when, episode it, ever. But rightfully so, I guess. I mean, this has been a huge topic of, for all of us, um, you know, especially when we refer to like the athlete piece, like that was why, and that is why I look up to the Catholic or the classical education model. And you talk about it. You always say like you and I specifically from public schools got robbed of our education. I know. But I was, I was someone that was coached. Tell me how high to jump and I'll jump, yep. but don't tell me to jump because I don't know what to do. Like I, right. I can't think for myself and I look at that, that model and, and trying to understand where that's where you all of a sudden fall into those traps. So a lot of times of like, okay, I need black and white. And if black is the most extreme, I'm going to live that. Cause then at least I know I'm good. I'm not thinking for myself, right? but I'm covering all my bases by being that definitive. Yeah. <sighs> so much more to talk about. We'll have to carry that over. I know if we remember, um, as one last Side note, I was just thinking, we had talked about Caesar last time and Nero and made a reference. Did we? Okay. I was watching Home Alone the other night. <laughs> no, you weren't. And I was. Seriously. I was. I was. And uh, well, I made Steph watch it. And I thought it was interesting that the pizza delivery company in, in it is not Little Caesars. Oh. Little Nero. Oh, pizza. really? Little yeah. Nero. And I would have never in a million years picked up on that oh, yeah. until I saw that the other night. And I was like, oh, FB's going to appreciate that because there's a there's got to be a reference in there that I'm missing. Well, Nero, like I talked about on Sunday. That's right. Lit, you know, he started the fire of Rome in AD 64. So hopefully he didn't burn the pizza. You know? <laughs> well, in that one, it's if it was over 20 minutes, that's why he came in and crashed into the house because... It's free if it's not in 20 minutes. So Pizza. anyways, uh, again, thank you guys. Please email in questions, comments, um, any of that kind of stuff. Please share the podcast. Let us know what you're thinking. We really appreciate it. Till next time. That's right.